All right, well, welcome to our study on Wednesday night, and uh, last week we had a week off, so we got double duty tonight. Uh, I'm trying to pack in all those things. We're going to start a new series called Foundation, so for this series, you got to put your thinking cap on. All right, you ready? Everybody got your thinking cap? You got to put your thinking cap on. Got to get a pen. You got to get a piece of paper. There are going to be some things I want you to write down, some things I want you to, uh, to think about and consider. And uh, if you're in the back, get your glasses on because I did the slides in a really small font. They look big on the computer, but they're uh, pretty small on the screen. So I'm going to begin this series called Foundations, and I hope more now than ever um, you realize the importance of why we believe what we believe. I think most of us know what we believe. But I think a lot of us struggle with telling people why we believe it. And in our culture today, in our world today, where everything that's wrong is called right and everything that's right is called wrong, not only do we need to tell people why, uh, what we believe, but we need to tell them why we believe it. And uh, the purpose behind us saying it, not just saying because we say so, but because of what we believe and why we believe it. And so I could think of no better way to start than with uh, what's called bibliology or the study of the Bible. Um, and I ask a question, can we trust the Bible? Can we trust the Bible? Think about that. The Bible that you have, that you bring to church, and hopefully you read at home, or maybe you have it on your phone, or your iPad. Can you believe the truth that is in it? Can you believe what it says is true? Can you rest your salvation on it? Just like we're going through 1 John. Um, I hope by the time we get done with 1 John, you'll be able to know that you know that you know that you are saved, not because you feel like it or not because you had an emotional feeling or emotional thing, but that you know that you know because of what the Bible says or because of what 1 John says, that we know that we know that we know. And now tonight, as we study the Bible here, um, I want to begin from the beginning and uh, see uh, how much we know or how much we're going to get to know of the Bible. Um, first, the definition of the Bible. Now, the English word Bible is translated from a Greek word um, which is derived uh, from biblion, which means a roll or a book. Um, a biblion was a roll of papyrus or biblis, and I believe that's part of a tree or a reed-like plant whose inner bark was dried and fashioned into a writing material widely used as an ancient, in the ancient world. So uh, that's what it is. A Bible is just a book. Now when we call it the Holy Bible, that's what we call our Bible that we have. That means we believe the Holy Bible is separate, not like any other book or any other rules or any other type of information. It is separate it is holy. There is nothing like it. It is the Holy Bible. So when we talk about Bible, generally, it's just a book or a role. But when we talk about the Holy Bible, that means we believe it is set apart from any other literature, any other religious form, any other uh, documents or writings you could ever have, because it is the Holy Bible. It is separate. It is to be treasured. It is to be sacred. It is to be holy. And it is separate like nothing else. And so three eyes I want to teach you tonight that we need to learn about our Bible. The inspiration of the Bible, the inerrancy of the Bible, and the infallibility of the Bible. So let's begin with inspiration. Uh, inspiration of the Bible. It's the guidance or influence 
of the Holy Spirit on the human writers of Scripture so that God controlled them in such a way that they wrote what that they wrote, but that what they wrote was exactly what God wanted them to write without error. Now, obviously, they wrote it a lot better than I just read that out loud. <laughs> but basically, inspiration is where God is inspired. Uh, inspiration is inspired by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So. Who was involved with the written word? It was the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It, it was a part of the process of us having the inspiration of the Bible, the guidance or the influence. This was not just people randomly writing about God or their feelings or their situations. This was people that was guided or influenced by the Holy Spirit. And there were human writers that wrote scripture in such a way that God controlled them to exactly what God wanted them to write without error. So when people tell you the Bible was written by humans, who do you, what else would you believe it more if it was written by animals or by giraffes or by dogs or by cats? No, of course it was, it was penned or written by, by humans, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was inspired by God. It was guided by the Holy Spirit of God. So he inspired the guidance of it. Also, uh, part B here is he inspired the personality of the authors. Now, this is one that I really like because when you really dig into the Bible, you start seeing the personalities of the authors that God used and you start saying, wow, that really, really fit that truth really, really well. Like we're studying the Gospel of John. And obviously the gospel of, I mean, we're studying 1 John, but obviously the gospel of John was written when he was younger, but now 1 John was written when he was older, and you can see how his personality changed. You can see how his experience had changed his heart. Um, Paul, the same way. When you go through the writings of Paul, you realize that Paul was the perfect guy to write the scriptures that he wrote that we had. His personality was perfect for it. His situations were perfect for it. His his circumstances were perfect for him when he wrote that. That didn't happen by accident. That didn't happen by happenstance. Paul wasn't in prison saying, I think I'll write a chapter of Ephesians today, right? He was inspired. He was inspired by the personality and even the words. Um, Paul used words and John used words and Mark used They used words that was inspired directly by the Holy Spirit of God which results in an inspired text. So when we talk about the Bible, which is really under attack today, I think there's only two mainline denominations left that believe the Bible is the Holy Bible and still God's Word. Only two left. And uh, it, they're under attack. Even today, I don't know if you've read some of the news, some of the ones attacked. We're part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, but the Bible is under attack. The, the truth is under attack because... We believe in inspired text. This was not personality driven. This was not uh, character driven. This was not uh, driven by any one person or any group of people. This was inspired by the Holy Spirit, which guided the writers to author this book or this Bible that we have in our hand in an inspired text of God. That's our inspired text. So a key verse for this, a verse I want to camp out a little bit. If you got a Bible, you could turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. 
Um, if not, you can go back and look at it later. But uh, I'll put it up here on the screen as well, screen as well if you can read it. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So right here it says all Scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. Uh, The Greek word here is theonostos, uh, which means God is spirit or literally God breathed out or out of the breath of God. So what is what is the writer saying here? Our scriptures, the Bible was literally breathed out by God. It was him who inspired it. It was an inspired text that God breathed this out himself. It is of the spirit of God. Now, when you have something of God who is holy, guess what else is going to be holy? The inspired text of God is holy. That's what makes it different than any other book we could ever pick up and read. And we see the inspiration behind this because we know when you write it and you understand it, you know it's written by God. You know it is breathed out by God because it is holy, it has power, it has authority. It is different than picking up any other English book or math book or science book or any other literature book. Shall I say Shakespeare or whatever else those was? I I made four C's in my life. Can you guess which ones I came in? Lit one and lit two in high school and lit one and lit two in college. (laughs) That was the ones that I could never get. They would read something. They'd say, what did you see or hear in that poem? I'm like, I don't know. It was about a flower or something. (laughs) I totally overlooked uh, the inspiration of all of it because it was just a book to me. But yet when you read the Bible, you realize it's not just a book. It's not just literature, not just art. It is literally breathed out of God. It has spirit in it. It has power in it. Uh, Another verse is 2 Peter 1.21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. There's the word. Controlled, inspired, guided by the very breath of God. So when you look to your Bible and we think about Scripture and we think about truth and you encounter things in our culture today where people tell you this is the truth or this is the truth to you or this is the truth that we believe or Lord forbid if our government tries to tell us what truth is or a school system tries to tell us what truth is. No, no, no. None of that is breathed out of the breath of God. None of that was guided by the Holy Spirit. None of that was inspired text of God Himself. It is It is what makes the Bible different, what makes the Bible special, what makes the Bible separate and holy is it is inspired by by God himself, literally breathed out of God. So when someone says, why do you believe in the Bible? Because it is the very breath of God. Listen, you want to know what God would say? Read the Bible. God has spoken to us in a very plain and clear way. We can be confident and know that when we read God's word, it is out of the breath of God. It is from him himself. It is what he would say to you. It is what he would say to me. It It is something that transcends time. And not only just the inspiration of God, but the inerrancy of God. 
You think about the inerrancy of God. That's number. That's the second thing of the second eye, inerrancy of the Bible. So inspiration of the Bible, it was breathed out from God. Inerrancy, the view that uh, when all the facts become known, they will demonstrate that the Bible in its original autographs and correctly interpreted entirety in entirely true and never false in all of it, all it affirms, whether that relates to doctrine or ethics or to the social, physical, or life sciences. You see that? Inerrancy means it's without error, meaning that there is not error in the Bible, that when all the facts are known, that it will demonstrate in its original text, that's key, we're going to talk and next week or the week after that, talking about our translations that we hold in our hand. The Bible was not originally written in English. It was not written, originally written in one language. It was written mostly in the New Testament in the Greek, some in the Hebrew, and a little bit of Aramaic in the Old Testament. So when we see the original autographs, when we see the original parts of it, and we're going to talk about what made a canon, what made part of the Scriptures, but in, in the context of what we believe in its original autographs, and correctly interpreted. That's very important too. Because when someone interprets something a certain way, one interpretation can be different than the un- another interpretation. But when it's inerrant in its original autograph and it's original interpreted into its original meaning, it's entirely true. It is never false. And it, it is whether it relates to doctrine or ethics or the social, physical, or life sciences. So if someone who is a religious leader tells you the Bible is not true or the Bible has errors in it or this is where the Bible got it wrong, you can go ahead and turn off the channel or walk out of the church or you could do whatever you got to do because the Bible is inerrant. There is not an error in the Bible. And, and we'll talk about some of the discrepancies in the translations, but in the original autographs and correctly interpreted, when all the facts become known and all the truth is known, it does not err. There is no falsehood in God's word at all. None. It is inerrant, without error. So, some scriptures for this. Matthew 5, 17 through 20, and John 10, 34 and 35. So, inerrancy of the Bible. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. This was Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And he said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever Therefore, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So he was dealing with two things right here. One was the unbelieving heart. He addressed that later on where he said, you are, you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will no way, by no means likewise enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the second one he did was they were saying that because Christ would come, it would nullify the Old Testament. That's why when you have your Bible in your hand, you have an Old Testament and you have a New Testament. 
Have you ever heard someone say the Old Testament's outdated and you don't need to study the Old Testament anymore? Let me tell you, things that I have learned from the Old Testament is, is so great and so grand from the stories and the principles of who God is and the, and the reality of their life. It is, it is, it is without, without, without doubt part of the Word of God that we should read and study. And then on top of that, the New Testament comes and it makes the Old Testament so much more fulfilling. That's what Jesus is telling here. I didn't come to destroy it. I didn't come to throw it away or put it aside. I came to fulfill it. I came to show you the meaning behind all this scripture. And he says, for surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away. All right, that's a long time. From, from, the end of time, from the beginning of time to the end of time of the earth. He says, until that passes away, let me tell you, one jot or one tittle. Now, one jot or one tittle, that was the smallest mark of grammar that you could have in that language like a uh, like a apostrophe or like a, a a period I don't know I guess periods are pretty big deal what's another little one <laughs> I don't know I, I didn't do very good in English either as you can tell but anyways he says not one jot or one tittle the smallest of the smallest of grammar by no means will pass away until all of it's fulfilled so he's saying it's without error. There is nothing in it that should pass away. There is nothing in it to get rid of. There is nothing in it to put aside to say it's got error or it does not, it does not need to be there. No, it is without error. And so when we study it, when we put it into use, when we apply our life to it, and the original autographs interpreted correctly, we can have confidence to know there's no error in it at all. None. Old Testament or New Testament. So another key verse in that is John 10, 34 through 35. <clears throat> he says in John 10, 34 and 35, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. So what he's saying is, is this not just part of those gods? Is it not written in part of those law? That you know the inerrancy of who God is and that it will not be broken. It will not have error. There is nothing in it that can be taken away or pushed aside. It is 100% inerrant in what it is. So inspiration, inerrancy, and now the third one's infallibility. So inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility. The infallibility of the Bible. Infallibility... Uh, is defined as uh, without error in what it accomplishes. It will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. So not only is it without error in its writing and its text and the science and, and theology, but now he's saying it's even infallible in its purpose. That, that when God's word is applied correctly or understood correctly in original autographs, it is infallible. It will accomplish what the Word of God says it will do. Um, verse for this is Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. See what Isaiah is saying? He's saying, listen, this is my word. It goes forth from my mouth, and it will not return to me void. 
Now, you think about the infallibility of the Scripture when you have promises in the Bible, when you have understanding in the Bible, you understand what it means in the Bible, you have this understanding of what it is and what it means in your life, that it will not return void to God. It will accomplish what He pleases it will accomplish. And it will prosper in everything in which He has sent it. Now, you think about that power in that. God's Word is inspired. It is inerrant. And it is also infallible in what, it, in what it accomplishes. And so as we think about this for application and wrapping some of this part up of the three words that I give you today. When you think about inspiration and what I said about inspiration, <clears throat> what is something that strikes you or gives you confidence or faith in the word of God knowing what inspiration is? Knowing what inspiration scripture is. Yeah. Mhm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's good. Anybody else? On the inspiration. Right. Mhm. Right. Mm -hmm. He's complete with his work. Mm -hmm. Knowing that his foundation, his sin foundation, he is complete and it can be described as not complete. Mm -hmm. That inspires me to, to finish the right. salvation. You know? Mm hmm. Very true. Yeah, I mean, how much confidence does it give you to know that the Bible was out of the breath of God? It was not an experience of man. Think about that. You know, a lot of times when people attack the Bible, who do they attack? The people who read the Bible, right? And that's easy to do. You, you can follow me around and find inconsistencies in my life and say, look, see, he doesn't line up with all the parts of the Bible, that's easy to do because if I wrote the Bible or I had some part of the Bible or I wrote something that I had you to believe in that I didn't believe in myself or that I didn't practice myself, it'd be real easy to point the finger and say, look, that's not right. That is someone's experience. And it's really, really important for us to get to the scriptures to get to what the Bible says. You know why you got to get to what the Bible says is because we know that's what was inspired by God. Sermons can be anointed, sermons can be through the Holy Spirit, but the power and the inspiration is through what? The Scripture. It's through the Word of God. And that's why it's so important for us to know that when we study, don't fall into the trap of studying a personality or studying a single person or studying somebody that you like or you may agree with. No, get to studying the Scripture. Get to the Word of God, that when you say something or you build your life on something, you know it's not some uh, experience that a human had or some understanding that a human had, but it is the Holy Spirit of God that wrote the Scripture that you can know and live your life part of it because you know it was breathed out by God. It's important to do that. Another application we can use for inspiration of the Bible is that 
For us as Christians, it should be different when we read the Bible. Uh, I had a friend of mine um, who was witnessing to this guy, and he was telling him about Jesus, and he said, you know, I would love to be a Christian, but I don't really understand the Bible. I have a hard time understanding the Bible. And he said, well, let me tell you, he said, if you become a Christian, then the Holy Spirit comes to reside in your heart, and the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, so when you have the Holy Spirit in your heart reading something that the Holy Spirit wrote, guess what's going to happen? You're going to understand the Word of God so much more because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you telling you or explaining to you or illuminating to you the Scriptures that He wrote. And that's, that to me, that made so much sense to me. Because when you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and that Word of God rings and when you hear it and you know it, there's a faith and a confidence that comes from it to know it is from the Word of God and there's no doubt about it. There is no wishy-washy about it. There is no maybe it says or maybe it don't say. And when we stand on Scripture, we can do it knowing that is exactly what God had breathed out or that He had spoken to us in His Word. And so when you fall on sides of the topic of the cultural issues and people say, how do you believe that or why do you believe that? Because we believe the Bible was inspired. We believe it was the very breath of God. So not only inspiration, but think about inerrancy. What does in the inerrancy of the Bible, knowing that it is without error in its original autographs and correctly interpreted, that you can go to it and you know that you know there are no errors in Scripture? What is that? What kind of confidence or faith does that give you about the Bible? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. True. Well, let's just put it in banking terms or investing terms. If I was an investor and you had the confidence and faith to know that whatever I invested in was going to bring a profit, all right? And no matter what I did or where I put it, it was going to bring a profit back to you because I had never been wrong. I don't make mistakes. I had never made an error before. How much confidence would you have investing money with me? You'd have a lot of confidence, would you not? But if you had, if you had the confidence of, and the faith of knowing something would not err or will not err, it should bring a whole level of confidence and faith that you have that you can speak and you can understand God's word and you can quote it with confidence because there's no error in it. And that's why it's important that we get to the word of God, not because it was breathed by God, but because of the inerrancy. We know it's without error. And I think for us, a lot of times as Christians, you know, we get to a point where we might believe what a preacher may say or what a leader may say or what a denomination may say. And it may not be backed up by Scripture, but yet we still go, we go for it because of their personality or because of their style. And then we don't really look to the fact that they are humans and they may err and they may fall to the side. And you see a lot of false leaders and a lot of false teachers happen that way. 
I mean, if you go back and look over several decades of some of these uh, false teachers and prophets over the years, there was major red flags there. There was major errors in what they taught. There was major problems with what they said. There was major contradictions to what they say. And that's why it's so important for us when we study, when we build our faith, when we build our theology, when we build what we believe about God, what we believe about our salvation, that it comes from God's word because it is without error. That we can have confidence to know that it is not going to be wrong. And I don't know about you, but I like to go with people who are right, you know. I don't don't like to have an experience with someone and get halfway down and realize that they were wrong. And you'll have to go back on what you say or redo what you say. With the word of God, you never have to do that. You never have to apologize for something that's wrong in the Bible. You never have to apologize for getting a doctrine wrong or denomination wrong. You never have to apologize for any theology that's wrong or any way that you treat someone or any way that you have a faith or trust in God. You never have to apologize for that because there's no errors in the Bible. It is inerrant. It is something we can stake it in that we can have confidence in that there is no errors in it at all. We can trust in it 100%. And follow it. And when it says something, here's where the third one comes in to our lives. It is infallible. When God's word says it, it's going to happen. It will happen. And now the timing of it might be the problem with us sometimes, but you can mark it down. Just like he says, heaven and earth can pass away, but the word of God will, will go forward. It is infallible. It does what God wants it to accomplish. It will do what it says and it will, it will always do that. It accomplishes God's will in our lives, in our homes, in our hearts, in everything we have. We can put God's word to work in our life because we could have confidence in it to know that it's not going to fail. You think about it in your life. When you put some of God's word, God's word to work in your life and know that it will not fail. Man, what confidence and faith does that really give you in walking out your Christian faith? I mean, it helps us in every area of our life. It helps us with every area of our family, every very part of that. So inspiration, inerrant, and also infallible. All parts of those parts of the Bible that we have. So I want to speak briefly about this because I really want to dig into it more next week. But I wanted to kind of give you uh, just a, a clue of where we're going so you can study about it. Maybe you can read about it. But what we have in our English Bible is what we call the canon of Scripture. Um, And a canon of Scripture um, refers to a group of books, all right, as a group, a collection of writings. So our canon of Scripture is 66 books, right? That's how many books of the Bible we have in our Bible. Um, We have them in Old Testament, uh, 39 Old Testament books, and we have 27 New Testament books, 66. Is that right? I went to school in Alabama. I think that was right, right? <laughs> 39 and 27, all right? And, and when we have a canon of the Scripture, this was, these, are the, these are the books that we have that was recognized by the early church, by the faith and practice. And it's really, the word canon means a carpenter's rule. A carpenter's rule is something that you measure everything by. So they had certain standards and certain rules that they had to determine if the original writings were part of the canon of Scripture or if it was really part of the Holy Bible. And they used that process of selecting the 66 books that we now have as what we call the Holy Bible, the carpenter's rule, the canon of Scripture. So, And that was also affirmed in A.D. 
397 at Carthage and the Council of Nicaea, but it was also known much earlier than that. So as far back as we can go with history and the Council of Nicaea, where we really have good records, even before that, we know most of them was already confirmed as Scripture. And next week, we're going to talk about what it, what, it, what it meant to get into the canon of Scripture, what it meant to get into the Bible, or what it meant to be a part of what we have now as the collection of the Old Testament books and the New Testament books, and how it affects our lives through the canon of Scripture. Um, but that's where we're going next week.